This week on The Zone of Truth, Griff and I break down Dr. Viv's final fight against the party, take another spin at Backup Roulette, and of course, answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, in studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in The Zone of Truth. Yeah, we're back after an exciting uh, seltzer draft. Wow! Which, which for for the uh, while we're on that subject, uh, me we and should Hale, announce me and Haley co won. This, this is this is correct. Uh, we ran the Twitter poll. Um, Griffin and Haley tied each with thirty five percent of the vote, and then I think Emily was next. Yep. Then Emily. Then Brooks. Then you. And then I got. But to be fair, you got shafted because. Only mm-hmm. four things are allowed in a poll, and you said comment if you yeah. vote for me. So yeah, that that's I, I I made this big announcement that we were going to run a Twitter poll. I did not realize that Twitter polls only went up to four choices. And when I was doing, I was like, well, fuck. I mean, I guess if I'm going to have to shaft somebody, I might as well shaft myself. Yeah, that was noble of you. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I got one <laughs> right in vote. Thank you very much, Sir Newt. I appreciate it. But congratulations, Team White Claw, or I'm sorry, Team Claw and Order and Team Helter Seltzer. Yeah. Uh, you guys live together, so we only have to make one trophy. That's great. Right. Yeah, it's it's the best of both worlds, really. Absolutely. So, Griff, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm uh, drinking a seltzer. Okay. Now that we're on the seltzers. It I'm- was actually one that was on my team, the White Claw Tangerine. Well, I'm, I think... Um, White Claw's stock dividend receivers are glad that this wasn't some sort of uh, supersize me situation where the massive <laughs> monetary gain they have by the HOP buying their seltzers did not stop because we we still like them. I can't believe we uh, we bought nine cases of <laughs> seltzers. ridiculous absolutely we're losing money on this podcast absolutely irresponsible episode of content but it seemed fairly well received i had a lot of fun doing it and who knows what what you know triple a or double a contender might make it into the bracket next year yeah who knows if we'll remember to do this next year who knows much like poseidon's bounty i think we might have people drop out Mm, well we are no spoilers here, but we've talked extensively about year two of Poseidon's Bounty, and I couldn't be more excited for what we've got planned. Yeah, I'm, I'm as excited for Poseidon's Bounty as I am for book four, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Both nautical themes, though. So. Right, they go pretty much hand in hand. As for me, I am drinking a North High Brewing Company beer. This one's called Stardust to Stardust. It's an Imperial IPA 8.8 ABV. Um, This was donated to me by our good friend Eric because these are Star Wars looking cans. And he said, I don't like this beer. You can have it. I don't like this. Please take it. (laughs) I've also heard from other people who have gotten this... um, this beer based off the branding that it wasn't that great. So I'm going to try it now. This is my first time. Boy. Based off the branding alone, I give it a 10 out of 10. Okay. (laughs) Based on the branding alone. Perfect. And that's all I'll say to that. Griff, 
We got a lot to get into today, and it wouldn't be right for us to hop into that if I didn't have some Sirenscape playing. Hey, nice. You got it. I'm, I still you got, got it before it, I, before I uh, gave you a hard time. So before you absolutely drag me for it again. <laughs> um, this one is coming from Stony Beach Sound Set. Um, specifically, it's a little waves on stones, which is calming. Yeah, it's calming. It's going to be a nice, relaxed one. Just me and you today. Yeah. Really getting down to it. None of the fanfare, none of the exclusive book release uh, interviews. I feel like in the early days, we had a lot of just you and me on here. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's gotten a lot more like, oh, we have a guest on. Oh, we're bringing the whole crew on for this. Oh, we're, you know, we're doing some weird seltzer thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's uh, symptomatic of a couple things. One, we've met more people. Two, we have more opportunities. And three, uh, we're running out of ideas. See, I... I think we're not running out of ideas, though, because I've gotten multiple messages on, on how the Seltzer Draft was a genius idea. So <laughs> I, think, I think we need to just sit in this room and drunkenly uh, plan Zone of Truth segments. So, so what are we going to draft next? Like maybe macro brew beers? Oh, I, I, know, I don't I, know. That would be great if we could get, if we get the listeners to send in some of those regional macros. I think Ooh, that, would be, that would be very fun because that'd be blind for a lot of us. Yeah. I'd like to see like hams going up against like Narragansett and old style and all those like weird specific regional ones. That would be fun. Well, listeners, it's on you now. I'm placing that burden on you. <laughs> Send us regional beers and we will uh, we'll maybe organize something. Boy, that would be a good time. Um, Griff, like you said, we've had a lot of these big, special, flashy zones of truth lately. Um, but I want to come back to something that we used to do a little earlier in quarantine when both of us were working from home. We still are. Uh, we're talking about ways to stay sane. Whoa, boy. Stay sane in these trying times. And that is basically just pop culture. Yeah. Got to keep myself focused. So for me, um, I've got some things going on in my life that I'm really enjoying. I'm rewatching Community for like the fifth time. Nice. And... I love that show to death. It's all on Netflix right now. Um, of those like half hour NBC shows, your office, your parks and rec, your 30 rock. I think uh, this may be an unpopular opinion. I think community is my favorite shows. Got heart. If anything, it's, it's the dark horse of those shows. I think it mm -hmm. really didn't get as much, at least when it was running, it didn't get as much exposure as some of those other shows. Yeah. I feel an infinite really uh, rewatchable with all like the cool hidden jokes and meta humor and stuff. I really enjoy it. Um, also, I got turned on to a very cool movie by our good buddy Chris. This is several weeks in the past now, but we haven't talked about this kind of stuff in a while. And I'm still kind of buzzing off this one. The 2019 Oscar winner, Parasite, which, you know... Oh, I wish I watched it before we had our big Oscars of the HLP episode. <laughs> yeah, but holy shit, I couldn't, I couldn't recommend it more. It's phenomenal. It's this really interesting look at one very specific sub subculture of Korea that I did not know was as fascinating as it is, and it has some twists and turns, and it's fucking great. I understand why it won Best Picture. It's so good. Yeah, I still have to see it. Uh, and based off your recommendation, I definitely will be. Yeah, I, I watched it with Brooks and Emily, and we were just raving about the thing. We couldn't recommend it more. Um, 
I'm also playing a game called Ori in the Blind Forest. Okay. It's very cool. It's like a, a Metroidvania game, side scrollery, jumping around. It's fucking gorgeous. It looks really pretty. The controls are really tight. And it's filling that niche that I've talked about a little bit on the show before, where I just want to throw something up on my screen, click buttons on my controller, turn my brain off, and like have a podcast playing. So it's not an overly difficult side scroller, would you say? There's there's a little bit of challenge to it, but I don't think I don't think it's particularly difficult. I don't think I'd rank it up there with like a the one that comes to mind immediately is like Cuphead. Oh, that's Cuphead. just like notoriously difficult. Oh, okay. I've heard from folks. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to place what kind of because I'm th- for some reason I'm thinking like a um, Dead Cells and mm-hmm. um, and I think Celeste falls into that category that are like very difficult and those are rogue light. Yeah. Um, side scrollers though, so like you you build up power ups, but they're kind of Metroid esque, and then you start from the beginning when you die, or not the the beginning of the level, I guess, for both of those. Now this game does have a one life uh, mode. I am not playing that mode. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm not good at the game, but I can turn my brain off and have a good time, and it is gorgeous. Nice. Um, Griff, what do you got going on in your life, man? Well, I think it was a week or two ago that uh, The Legend of Korra came out on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Haley and I have been binging that hardcore. We're about halfway through season three. Absolutely loving it. And this uh, is a follow-up to Avatar, right? Yep, which yep, which so you were talking about on, on one of these previous episodes. And it's fun because just got into it. I never saw all of Avatar. So watching Avatar was me watching Avatar for the first time. And then... I don't have the gap between Avatar and Korra that people that watched the original did. I, I had like a month and right. then I could jump right into all of The Legend of Korra. And it's really good. I'm really enjoying it. I didn't realize there's a lot of crazy good voice acting talent in it, like relatively uh, famous people. Uh, oh, yeah? I can't remember his actual name, but the guy that plays J. Jonah Jameson in Spider Man. Oh. I, I know who you're talking about. He's, also, uh, I do not remember his name offhand. He's Tenzin, who's like one of the main characters. He's Aang's son, and he's one of the only airbenders left because, obviously, Aang was the last airbender. Wait, isn't he like kind of an old dude? Yeah, uh, it, this takes place 80 years in the future. From So it's really, it's sense, really yeah. weird because like there's cars and there's uh, dirigibles and like modern, like they... They just started uh, movies, like they have movies Mm -hmm. in the... It's weird. It's very cool, and uh, (laughs) I did see a fan uh, mash together uh, look at... It was was Tenzin, but it's the actor, because the actor's relatively famous, Mm -hmm. and he's played a lot of, like, R-rated characters. Sure. And so it just has... Because it's an anime, you can kind of sync whatever you want up to their lips... Uh, and it just has him like going off on other oh, characters, God. and it's the same voice. It's amazing. Um, that sounds great. But beyond that, uh, the second season of Umbrella Academy. Yes, um, just, I'm halfway through that one as well. Just started watching that uh, today, actually. And in terms of games, I've been playing, replaying the uh, Digimon Cyber Sleuth and Digimon Hackers Memory games. On, have. Yeah, on my uh, on my Switch, I got them for Switch because I wanted them portable. I had them for PS4, mm-hmm. and uh, 
it's just fun. That's that's one of those mindless games too. You can just you can literally make it so mindless that you can you can grind and you can hit the start button and it'll choose your attacks for you. God damn it! <laughs> like, it's literally just like play it one handed, laying down. It's like how some some games these days have like quote unquote cinematic mode where like the difficulty is so easy you almost like can't even kill yourself. You just yeah. kind of there for the story. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Um, but paired up with this little segment here. Um, I'm not going to, you know, quote unquote, jump into listener questions, but I do want to address one that came through in our discord from our good buddy, Alex. Uh, he changed his username like many people do in our discord frequently to my chagrin uh, is Alex 3d6 in order cowards. Do you guys stop doing a movie night to, prote- uh, to prep for books as we head into book four? Do you have any plans or did you just say fuck it? So that's that's I want to bring that up now because we just watched our book four. Yeah, movies. we just watched our book four movies. We yes. and this time we opened it up to uh, to the Discord to the for the um, for our Friday night movie watch. And what were those movies, Griff? We watched the new Color Out of Space with Nick Cage, and then we watched uh, I believe it was 2006's Slither. Nailed it. Uh, and those movies. Both very body horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they they both encapsulate different parts of book four, and they're probably the closest to the actual subject matter that we're gonna get. Sure. Uh, in terms of movies, it's kind of difficult to find eldritch horror movies. I I know you you just started watching um, Lovecraft Country. Lovecraft Country. Yep. Yeah, which which would probably be. It, very thematic for book four but there's not a ton of movies about things that you can't portray by seeing them <laughs> things that right, are so right. you know things that are so uh, otherworldly that you uh, you go insane by looking at them and I think both movies did a very good job both movies were very otherworldly I mean the color out of space was actually I mean I won't say it was faithful faithful but it followed the story beats pretty well of uh, the HP Lovecraft story just in a more modern setting and I, 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 I just want to say the way you described it it's a it's it's an adaptation of this Lovecraft story starring Nick Cage that's gonna that's gonna scare off a lot of people Nick Cage brings a wild you know predictably wild performance to this movie. But in a way, it kind of enhanced it. And I found myself thoroughly fucking enjoying this movie. I loved it to death. And not not ironically, like a lot of the times when I watch a Nick Cage movie, like I legitimately thought he did a good job and this was a good movie. Well, I thought a situation like a Lovecraftian horror landing in your backyard is the exact perfect situation for a Nick Cage flying off the handle moment. One. Hundred percent, which hits at such a good time, and like halfway through the movie, it just hits, and it makes so much more sense when you have the color out of space as the backdrop for it than mm-hmm. when you know he's just going off on a drug dealer or something. Yep, yep. <laughs> it's great. Um, we also watched Slither. That was of a different quality. Yeah, I mean, two thousand six humor doesn't hold up. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say that, but the the body horror in it, the the aliens landing or alien like 
meteorite landing, kind of similar to color out of space and then like infecting a populace, that's all going to be relevant. Yeah, I, I I have the exact same assessment as you. There was some points in the movie where it's like, ah, uh, I don't really need to to be seeing this this stuff on film. No, not the body horror stuff, but like, so yeah, some of the some of the, the some of the humor that I don't think translates well to twenty twenty. I'm just like, okay, I don't really care for this. But I do I do agree that there are a lot of very redeemable parts, and with the intro of Color Out of Space rolling into Slither, I got a good idea. Of thematically where we're heading. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, if that doesn't, if those two don't paint the picture for it, mm-hmm. I don't know what will. I, uh, Alex actually follows up saying that Color Out of Space is excellent, but he also throws out a couple different suggestions. Now I haven't seen all of these, but I just want to list them just in case people want to get that flavor. He talks about a movie called The Mouth of Madness. He brings up Reanimator, which I haven't seen. However, I have read the original. Uh, Lovecraft reanimator and it's really damn good and then he closes with but I think for book four you guys should absolutely watch John Carpenter's The Thing one of my favorite horror movies of all time it's fucking great yeah have, have you seen it Chris? I've seen The Thing yeah uh, I've seen reanimator I have not seen The Mouth of Madness but that that sounds like one Chris was very hyped up after mm-hmm. watching the Cabin Fever movies to watch that I think you, me, and him will have to watch it because I think we're the only three that liked the <laughs> like yeah. the two movies. Haley almost left the room with the body horror. Apparently, Brooks wasn't that into it. Uh, Tim hated it. Yeah. yeah, Tim hated it. I, I mean, I was just telling him afterwards. Well, you're gonna have to be into it in some respects. You're, you're two years and it. three books deep into a podcast. You're gonna have to get through book four. Yeah. Now, I mean, that's that's not to say that we don't have a few episodes left of book three because we certainly do. We got some in the can. I think we have some wrap-up to do still. But book four is coming real damn soon. Yeah, you'll have book four in probably around a month. Looking forward to it, man. Really looking to see where all this uh, Nethel Goo and um, Lyra stuff is going. Yeah. I do have one more thing that uh, for, my, for my quarantine update. Oh, sure. So this past weekend, we did something that has been... Maybe three years in the making. I can't believe that this is a topic of conversation on this show. We, so, so for, for backstory, uh, we're looking into cleaning up the garage and insulating it and making it a more livable space. But Haley and I have this huge detached garage off our house and it's like a whole 15 feet taller than any of the other garages in the neighborhood. And the reason for that is that it has a second level. But when we bought the house, the ladder or the stairs or whatever they used, it looked like they had a kind of like a permanent ladder going up that used to be attached to the wall that they removed. And so we've never been up there. But Three years of homeownership, yeah. and they haven't gone in the second level of their garage. Well, the, the concern was always that we don't know how stable the floor is yeah. up there. But... Finally, we took a ladder, we got the whole crew together, had a couple drinks, had first. a couple drinks, went up there, and first of all, the space is crazy huge, but it was creepy because there were like, <laughs> there were over five loose doors. Why? No idea. No idea. There were, there were, there were like sinks there mm-hmm. and, and 
two tires. Yeah, just random tires, uh, boxes of junk that we, uh, before Chris decided Leroy Jenkins and went across the floor, we were trying to like hook with bungee cords to pull over. Yeah, this I, the significance of this may be lost on some of our listeners, but I just want to reiterate that over the the three years of home ownership, this has been something that we've talked about constantly. Yeah, this has been like one of the great mysteries of the group. I would say, yeah, one like once a month or or you know every month or two months or however. Someone would bring it up and we would have a very serious conversation. Man, I wonder what's up there. Man, I want to go up there so bad. And then we wouldn't. Well, we wouldn't because we didn't have the ladder. Uh, I, I proposed some situations of human <laughs> pyramids and climbing and stuff that nobody was interested in. Well, I think you would have had to hoist yourself up there at that point because when we got up there, there was that whole railing that blocked sight. Yeah. There, we learned a lot, but boy, was that fun. But yeah, we went up there because I wanted to know... I wonder if I'm going to have to insulate the roof area, if I'm going to, you know, just insulate the the roof of the first floor and seal it off. And uh, and we got up there, and oh boy, it's uh, it's a whole new world up there. It's very John Carpenter esque, very terrifying. Very up there. terrifying. Up there. <laughs> I think I spent 15 minutes at the top of the ladder. I was the first one up. Yep. I was just like. What in the fuck is all of this? I was expecting it to be empty, honestly. Yeah, me too. And that's kind of why I feel like maybe we we didn't try so hard to get up there for three years because we didn't. It, it was it's a mystery. It's an unopened present. You don't know what's inside it. Exactly. And I didn't want to be disappointed exactly. and have nothing up there. I was blown away by what is up there, but right. could have been nothing. Could have been nothing. Glad it was something. Um, speaking about something, Griff, you want to get into some actual content that we promised the listeners at the beginning of this episode? Let's do it. How about that? Sure. All right. So as of this episode of Zone of Truth, the people listening at home will have already heard the first half of the Vrood fight. But I want to take some time to reflect back to the Dr. Viv fight because it was one of my favorite fights in a little while. And let's be honest here. It was the end of a player character. Yeah. It was a player character who eventually got co-opted and played by Griffin, but I think we still deserve it its due. Um, So I want to talk about a couple things first. First of all, the first half of the combat, this happened in the episode before Dr. Viv even shows up. The crew was facing down several of these large boys, large undead boys, and this quote-unquote named character White Monk. Yep. So who are these folks? What are they doing there? Are there any cool tidbits you can drop about this monk? This is somebody that I'm not familiar with. She's a named character, so obviously mm-hmm. important in some regard, but maybe it's backstory we never got or may never need to get. Yeah. I don't know. So the the three big guys are what's called a white brute. Okay. So they're, they're all whites, uh, type of undead. And uh, these were brutes, so they're larger. They have more AC. They can hit a little harder. I think they're each CR5, so that explains why they couldn't hit Ikmer (laughs) at 36 AC or whatever he's rocking. Um, But they're fun to kind of add because it's a smaller space, and so you get these large... you 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 have Saw, who's a large character when he's in combat, and these characters that are large kind of choking up the battlefield yeah and uh it made it interesting because obviously 
when they're all right there, it's hard to weave through them. But then we had uh, Acretia. She's this dread white monk in the book. I think she's a sixth level monk. I beefed her up to an eighth level monk. Uh, just because we have two lycanthropes in the party and yep. you guys can handle it. But she's just brutal as a as an eighth level monk. She gets the um, her second flurry in a round and uh for her, so for the for the brute whites, they they had a save associated with their level drain, but she did not. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the in the carrying crown stat block, she had no save associated with oh, the drain. So, so really, the save is the next day to either remove it or make it permanent. And when she's a monk, she can hit so many times. She had uh, she was using key defense uh, for the most part in that combat because. It was so many people versus her, and the combat got split to like Ikmer in a room, and then everybody else wailing on the on the monk. Ikmer just soloing the brutes, really no problem. Yeah, and and that that makes sense. I mean, they needed a twenty to hit him, but it made it difficult for me to justify not using key defense every round she could. Uh, so that bumped her AC up to twenty nine which was pretty brutal for you guys. Oh, geez. Yeah, I think our, our best chance to hit, I mean, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but is, is is either Eclipse and or Sawyer. It might be Sawyer with power attack off with all of his... Me- He's got 31 strength, mm-hmm. and I was having trouble hitting. She was very difficult to hit. Fucking Matuve basically had to get, like, an 18 or above. Yeah, yeah. So it was... It was tough. I mean, she has she has your generic monk stuff like Stunning Fist. Um, she's obviously got some other key stuff she could have done. Uh, she used key speed that first round when she wrapped around the whole party because she beat you guys in initiative mm-hmm. and started uh, wailing on Freya. But the she has deflect arrows. She um, she's got evasion and just the flurry of blows was tough. I mean, she's hitting at, she's hitting at like a plus fourteen on her first flurry, just yeah. really on the squishier characters, really dealing some negative. I mean, she wasn't; she was only doing um, a d ten plus seven on her strike, so it wasn't crazy damage. But, but at that point, that's that's not even really the no interesting. It's just she needs issue. to make contact. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think when we wrapped up that first episode where there was the big cliffhanger, the stairs open, you smell chemicals and bleach, we got done with that episode, and as Brooks, Emily, and myself were leaving for the night, you're like, yeah, if she can start hitting, I can one-round a character. Because you just seem to get eight negative levels at that point, and it's done. Eight hits when you're hitting at, what, like a plus 14, you said? Mm-hmm. I mean, her, her second flurry goes way down. Oh, but, sure, okay. But, um... It's still, or I guess her her first flurry is a, at a plus twelve, and then it goes down to like a plus seven. Okay, um, but she's she's not supposed to be encountered there. Mm-hmm. So there's another building her and the uh, whites are supposed to be in, but we we really changed Feldgrau. Uh, I really changed Feldgrau in the background, uh, but. I think the story merited a kind of 
complete reshuffling of the city. I mean, we've we've treated it as more of a like a town where there's an army building and there's two forces fighting each other. And in the book, it's really like you know, there's undead on patrols. You have a fifty percent chance going building to building that you encounter a randomized table of undead and. Like, each building has certain stuff in it. Um, Durston's not with the uh, the devil wolves. The devil wolves are called the demon wolves, uh, which I fucked up probably three times on the show. <laughs> um, but there's so much different about it that I... I felt like the the waves of undead was really fun mm-hmm. that we were that we were playing through, and then I really wanted the tower to be. I knew that's where you guys were going to go immediately, so I wanted the tower to be more of a multiple combat thing, more of a dungeon than a hey, we we come here, we kill five skeletal archers, and we fight Vrood. Yeah, I, I think that has a lot more impact. I mean, by the time we get to Vrood as the the people listening will know i mean party's been weared down a little bit Mm -hmm. and i don't know that you get that same effect if we're clearing it building to building and then maybe resting or whatever um you don't get the sense of urgency that i've created with making it like an active combat zone the whole place and and so you really can't hide there's eyes everywhere Mm -hmm. uh the other issue is you guys found like the only defensible place, the dyer shop, immediately. It's the first building you went sure, to. Sure. So, you know, I'm not going to tell you it wasn't defensible, but um, by finding that place, I knew that if, if it had been tr- played traditionally, you guys would have fought through a bunch of buildings, come back there and rested, fought through a bunch of buildings, come back there and rested. And it didn't seem like the way. Uh, we should play it when there's a whole army of werewolves, too. <laughs> yeah, I, I. I think there may be value in, I mean, of course there is value in the original writing of the book. It was written that way for a reason, but with the creative liberties we've taken and considering what we were coming off of, think of episode 100, right? Mm -hmm. Episode 100 um, did have the Sawyer Anya combat, but it was all about building momentum in this big push. And then we were going to break through and, and we're destined for this giant epic encounter between, um, b- between Viv and Vrood and everybody else. If you have that episode 100, you cannot follow it with five to ten episodes of we clear building, fight five skeletons, rest. Exactly. We clear building, fight five skeletons, and rest. Whether, whether or not we're playing this on radio or not, I... I just think you lose all of that momentum. And I, I think you played it the right way. Concentrate the stuff where it's important and carry through all that ro- momentum for a big conflict. And just stuff has to be more challenging. I mean, the, the party is mm-hmm. not your average eighth level party anymore. You, true. You've all gotten decent boons. Ikmer and then adding Saw uh, has made the party way more powerful than a party that would be going in to fight uh, normal Vrood. Yeah, and so I think I think I've, it's been a balancing act, and I've been you know pretty generous with letting you guys. Hey, if you want to, you know, if you want to take the time up here to heal, it's daytime. He's a vampire. He's yeah. going to stay down there. Like you know, I know you're running out of spells. You could try and go back, like, but you guys wanted to push forward, and I think that was the right move. Uh, but Viv, yes, 
this is what I'm excited yeah, for. Let's talk about Viv. So Viv is now a in, in this combat a tenth level vivisectionist alchemist. And when we last saw her at the end of book two, where was she? She was eighth level. All right. So you had a little bit to play with. Yeah. So I did, and one of the discoveries I took that came into play because Viv at this point was known for you know poisoning eclipse and and really doing a lot of damage with her poisons i took um malignant poison and it the alchemist can increase the save dc of any poison by four and increase its duration by two frequency increments Whew. additionally malignant poisons take effect immediately and do not have an onset time this alchemical change lasts until the poison's extended duration ends or for a number of minutes equal to the alchemist's level, whichever comes first. After that, the poison reverts back to its original state. An alchemist must be at least 10th level before selecting this discovery. So she basically... Um, here's the combat upstairs. Rude casts a greater invisibility on her right before she heads up the stairs, uh, as well as some of her other buffs. She buffs herself and then buffs her poisons and heads up there. And so she's got stuff like uh, Deathblade, which was a great poison, went from a DC 20 to a DC 24 fortitude save and was the one that does the con damage every round and is really brutal because it's two saves. There was one that I tried to get off on Saw because, uh, let's be honest... Saw is a powerhouse, and he has scent, and Viv knows these kind of things, so I tried to incapacitate you more than um, get the con off, because okay. you have a high fortitude save. Um, so I tried to get Jackal Root Essence, which was boosted Ooh. to a uh, DC 22. What does that do? Uh, it's uncontrollable laughter as per hideous laughter for... Um, 1d6 rounds but it requires two consecutive saves and so it had i had i got you with it it you would have incapacitated you for a couple of rounds would have allowed viv to move the poisons around a little bit more to mm -hmm. the rest of the party but um i gave her a special item which i think we talk about in episode 107 um so it's like the the scabbard of many blades but I added a the poisoner's scabbard effect to it, and so she it's just a move action to dip into one of the eight poisons. Mm -hmm. um, so she prepared a couple of death blades, a couple of the jackal root essences, um, and I think she had she had some other low level stuff um, that wasn't that wasn't really useful against you guys at this level but I did ever spend a decent amount of her level up gold on poisons she I mean she was ready for you with the human bane dagger mm -hmm. uh, she she was it had shape changer or yeah shape changer bane rather um, so obviously prepared for the werewolves um, and just in general boosted to like a uh, 28 AC before like I think she had 
She had a couple things on her. I'm trying to think. She had some stuff from Vrood as well. Got her up to a uh, 34. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, For a not tank. Because, like, if you think about it, she's got she's got her um, her extract, which increases natural armor and also increases dexterity. Muti- uh, oh, is that the, her mutagen? Her mutagen, yep. rather, yes. And then she's got, uh, she's got Cat's Grace on her. She's got um, the shield spell on her. She's got mage's armor on her she's got um she had bark skin as well which was giving her some dr um yeah she was she was really built up and that was just like the stuff that she could put on herself um so i kind of that was one thing i was i was actually telling Haley when you guys started after you guys started the brood fight i was like well he spent some of his resources for the day buffing viv so she could go up there and take care of you guys mm-hmm. and so imagine him with greater invisibility at the start of that combat would oh, have been terrible even worse than him just in the uh, cloud kill but um yeah if, if her invisibility ran out if it took that long of a fight i mean she had long arm cast on her as well um she would have just drank her displacement um <laughs> just some good stuff on her she she never full attacked because she was always using her move action or actually moving mm-hmm. uh, but using her move action to repoison because much like the um, much like the white the the best part about what she can do to you guys is poison you not actually deal damage I think her her she's doing like... I mean, she's doing sneak attack, but she's doing 1d6 plus 2 plus 5d6. So, or 6 or 7d6, I guess, with the Bane when she when she hit the people that she could Bane. So, not crazy damage compared to the constant con damage on people that are already drained from negative levels. Yeah, I, I think at that point, you, you know what you're doing. At that point, what you need to do is dance around the battlefield, incapacitate people where you can, start those recurring effects on them the the drains the poisons the uh the con damage well it was nice because she has uh bleeding sneak attack too oh yeah so if it weren't for freya you guys would have been taking five points of bleed damage every round for everyone that got hit by her and Mm -hmm. those effects are all those are all like dot's that are gonna stack and eventually kill somebody so that's why that's how i thought this fight was gonna go because i had 11 rounds of greater invisibility the if I could just keep hitting you guys I knew it was going to be difficult to hit me and I could just get the damage over time stuff ticking and get people real injured for when she pops out of invisibility and then she could just finish you off yeah it's almost like Emily built Freya to fight Dr. <laughs> maybe the midwife anti-bleed stuff yeah but um yeah, like I said in the beginning of this, very fun combat. Um, we we had to combat it somehow. Um, some non-traditional tactics of throwing our characters down halls to see if we could run into her. <laughs> yep. Because we can't counter invisibility really well yet. Um, but I had a good time with this one. It was not as bad as it could have been, um, but it was a pulse-pounding nail-biter of a combat. Yeah, and I think... Uh Kudos goes to Haley for the use of the um, 
the death ward to make her weapon good to attack Viv because it negates all negative levels and an evil creature carrying a good aligned weapon causes a negative level. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Yeah. A lot, lot of clever stuff there. Um, is there anything else you want, you want to mention here up in the, the Dr. Viv fight section before we move on? No, I think it was just a, a very fun fight. Well played on both sides, I think. Yeah. Think we're about to open some beers? Yeah. Cheers to the end of Dr. Viv. May she here, here. not come back in book four. No, you guys did the appropriate things. I can't bring her back in every book. <laughs> Thank God. Um, all right. So we did this one a few Zone of Truths ago, but it's a little game we like to call Backup Roulette. As a, as a reminder, basically Griff and myself are going to imagine that we're players on the HLP and our primary character dies in a random front half of the AP book. We have to roll for a new one. We're going to be randomly selecting a race, class, profession, and book that we died in using dice. Then we're going to talk about how we got to the party and how we'd slot into the story. I had a lot of fun with this last time. Um, I think we came up with some cool stuff. I think I basically just had... Yeah, you basically built Dr. Viv. <laughs> yeah, completely randomly, but it was a lot of fun. Um, so first of all, we have to decide what book we showed up in. So we're going to roll a D3. Uh, traditionally, that's a D6 divided in thirds, so high, medium, low. Yep. Let's see what we do. Ooh, I got a six. I'm coming in. Book three. Hot in book three. All right, cool. I'm glad because last time we both came in book two, and I'm showing up in book one. Oh, nice. Yeah. This is going to be fun. Um Griff, how about you give me a D100? This is going to determine your race. We're going to be using the unofficial table from uh, PFSRD.com. Okay, I got a 63. 63. Oh, boy. You got a human. Oh, boy, a human. Very exciting. Human coming in at book three. Let's see what I got. 39. Okay. I got a race I've never played before. And it's a core race. I'm playing a gnome. Oh, a gnome. Yeah. Man, in book one. Book one gnome. All right. That's uh, we'll see. So now we need to determine class. There's a lot of classes out there. Um, I need you to roll a D2. All right. I'll go odds or evens. Odds. So that's a one. Okay. So you're going to be coming from the first half of the chart. Um, go ahead and roll me a d20. Uh, that's a 12. You have a human showing up in book three who's an oracle. A human oracle. Yeah. Interesting. Myself, I'm going to go um, odds, evens, one, two. Oh, boy. Rolled out of the box there. I'm also going to be drafting from the first half of the chart. That's a four. I'm a cavalier. Oh, boy. In book one. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Well, at least you're a gnome, so you can have a medium mount. So yep. you can still get around in Harrowstone, I think. Yes. Except for climbing down that pit. <laughs> oh, boy. That's, uh, that's scary. Okay. Let's see what's next. Next, we're going to decide a profession. So I'm going to roll a D30 on my computer. Um, do you want me to do this for you, Griff, or do you have yeah, to pull Yeah, go ahead and up? roll me a d30 as well. Okay, I rolled a 28. What that means? 
is you're a tanner. I feel like I got this last time, didn't I? Or you did. Um, I was a butcher. No, I was a, I was a tanner. Remember? Do you want to roll again? Yeah, roll me okay. again. Okay. Because I was the I was the Tengu. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. That <laughs> loved skins. Twenty two. To make me a. You're a sailor. A sailor. Oh fuck! <laughs> How do I get in the woods? Not a lot of open water. Around How do I get there? into the woods? All right, I'm gonna roll. I got an eleven. Let me count it off. Oh dear. I'm a farmer. <laughs> no cavalier farmer in book one. Ooh. I may have what I want to do. All right. I don't know how I'm going to fit in the farmer aspect. <laughs> so I'm a gnome cavalier. I'm a farmer. I'm in book one. Clearly, my mount was a victim of the lopper. Because I am taking the Ghost Rider archetype. Oh God! <laughs> yes, um, this this gnome, uh, as as the lopper was cutting his swath of, uh, of 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 beheaded bodies across the countryside, at one point he slaughtered an entire family and every one of their farm animals, including a dog. Oh, and, boy. and so now, uh, actually, it wasn't every one of uh, ev it wasn't everybody in the family. It was a gnome family where one per where one person, my character, was away for the day. He comes back, everybody's dead, but he's got a ghost dog, and he's meeting up with the crew after he hears some spooky stuff in Harrowstone to take revenge and put the blopper in the grave for the final time. So your gnome's like a hundred years old. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. Uh, my character, my character's concept revolves around ghost dog. All right, I like that. I can't believe that there's an archetype literally called Ghost Rider. That's great. It looks like, yeah, it looks like you have a special mount of conjured ectoplasm. You just yeah, have you cool. just ride a ghost. Hey, man. New backup character. <laughs> Listen. Right there. I'm scrapping the one I already have. We're doing this. I think for me, I would take the the Stargazer Oracle archetype. Okay. And wrap that into the Lunar Mystery, which would get me... Uh, I would take the Animal Companion revel Revelation for that. So I would... Um, I would have a companion, probably some kind of uh, seafaring bird. Oh, I like that. Um, and I think the the reason for meeting up with the party in book three would be that as a stargazer oracle, probably a worshiper of Desna and coming to, um, like, has heard about the Stairs of the Moon being this, like, great lost temple to Desna, and so would... Um, would leave the sea to <laughs> oh, there's that shoehorned in sailor part. The, well, because like a so a lunar or a no, lunar I, and a stargazer, like I feel like that fits in really well with a sailor with the, with because, the navigation. Yeah, with yeah, the okay. navigation. You know what? I I made fun of you, but I'm on board now. And so, 
but uh, this character was a sailor on Lake Incarthen, mm-hmm. and so he comes to the the Shutterwood to find this temple, communes with Desna with the party, uh, and then when you guys go in book four to the area around Lake Incarthen, has some skills that benefit in book four. Interesting. Uh, so has that profession sailor has some um, has some of that lore. They they recommend some mysteries for this uh, dark tapestry, heavens, lore, nature, time. I like lunar. I could I could see going heavens or dark tapestry. Dark tapestry would fit really well into um, into book four. Emily almost made Lyra a dark tapestry oracle. Oh, really? That's mm-hmm. interesting. Because it's kind of like the space in between mm-hmm. and where all of the old ones are. So it it fits really well into book four. I might I might go that route. But I, I kind of like the lunar oracle because you get the animal companion and you get uh, you can add charisma charisma to some stuff. So wouldn't really be a frontliner, but would uh hopefully hopefully i'm in there like replacing freya or something mm-hmm. yeah i i see it man i see it and i like it very much well that was back up with roulette a lot of fun with that one um we do have some listener questions if you want to get into them yeah man let's do it our first one comes from anesthetic so i picked this one because it's been a little while since we've talked about like specific personal stuff. We talked a lot about game mechanics, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. Sure. Um, but this, this one is about our interpersonal relationships. And I think that's something that's very important for any, any party, regardless or not, if you are playing a, uh, you know, playing a, a game that's goes onto a podcast. I think it's important to be aware of this kind of stuff. So after a hundred plus episodes, we have all gotten uh, used to the experience of friendship that preexisted to the endeavor of the podcast. How would you describe the effects it had on your friendships slash relationships outside of the pod? Do you feel closer, but also odd at times? That's a good question. And I've heard from other podcasts that I've listened to the pitfalls of starting a podcast with your friends. Effectively, you are picking your friends as business partners and sometimes that can sour those relationships. Personally, I don't think that it's had that effect on us. In fact, I think in a lot of ways it's brought us closer. I've, um, well, one, we just have something else to talk about. Yeah. (laughs) There's that, uh, a topic that we can talk about pretty extensively all the time. Um, and two, I think we're learning a lot about each other through the way that we role play or the way that Griffin tells stories. I know more about Griffin now because I know how he tells stories. So I have a better understanding of how his brain works. Um, I understand some of those things that Emily channels into Dr. Viv and Freya and Lyra. I understand new things about people that I've been friends with for a while that maybe I might not have picked up on before. I think it was really funny. You were talking about this Viv fight and you you might have said it on air you like called my shot which the, uh, which is visibility, yeah, yeah which is which is like totally goes back to playing together for this long uh you've seen me play in other games you play yep. with me in other yep. games like you know the kind of stuff i like as a player and so could definitely just call me out on that one that was great <laughs> absolutely so that that's what i've seen um of course 
there are times of contention, but what friend group doesn't fight? I mean, we, I, I would be lying to anybody to say if there weren't times where we don't disagree. We do. It happens, especially if you're entering into um, a pseudo business relationship with these folks. You know, there's ways that, you know, we may want to take the show or some of the creative material of the show that we don't all agree on at times and we have to work those differences out. But that doesn't make us more distant from each other. Working through those dis- uh, those differences brings us closer together. At least I think I could be wrong about it, but I feel closer to you guys. Yeah, I agree. I mean, other than it being just another time when we all hang out, which, you know, prior to COVID became, well, we scheduled a day for the podcast and that's a day that we might not normally hang out that we hang out. Mm-hmm. We already hang out on Wednesday nights to play another game. We hang out on the weekends almost every weekend so we've kind of we've created this uh this podcast is just another day of us hanging out all together Mm -hmm. and i think you know you talk about the the business relationship of the whole thing one of the things i've been uh i wouldn't i wouldn't say surprised by because i know you're all very smart people but Uh, One of the things that I've been impressed by is the way that everybody in our group's talents kind of mesh well with each other. When you go into a business, you try and find um, synergistic skill sets. And that's not something we like looked for with our friend. No, not at all. Yeah. Right. And, And it's not something we look for when we went into this. But the longer that this podcast has gone, the more we've had to consider business related things. And I think the whole group is good at certain aspects of running a business. You know, we, we talk a lot about how I'm the ideas guy and you're the sounding board. Like that happens a lot. Mm -hmm. And that is a business relationship that people have, you know, there's, there's plenty of stuff that goes into making this that certain members of the group are better at than others like community outreach and that kind of stuff and it's it's nice that we've all kind of found our own niche in the group uh but it it definitely surprised me i I think it was about when we launched the patreon that it was kind of like okay well we're gonna actually delegate roles and responsibilities and that feels weird to do with like your group of best friends like that that meeting was very weird for me to run and be like Hey, you're going to handle this, this, and this. You're good at this. Hey, you're going to handle this, this, and this. You're good at this. Um, but I think part of it, you've, you've heard it from other podcasts. Part of the benefit that we have is that we're doing a role-playing podcast. And so it's a lot easier to leave parts of this podcast at the table. Yes. There's, I mean, there's certainly like, don't get me wrong. There's episodes coming up where it does not get like left at the table. The, the emotions last. Um, and, and we do like, we do have decompression periods and we do all talk about the show for five hours after we recorded it. If we recorded it on a weekend and we're drinking anyway, but, uh, for the most part, we're able to pretty much leave what happened in the story at the table and it doesn't affect our relationship with each other where I think if, if we were doing like a, a political slanted podcast or something that uh, something that's more talk like this but more talk in a uh, opinions yes. um, manner I think it would be a lot harder to leave what's said at the table at the table 
Um, so I think that, I mean, that, that is definitely a big strength of doing a TTRPG type show. Yeah, a- absolutely. And if I can, just for a hot second, um, it's a, it's a rather open-ended question on the back end, your friendship slash relationships outside the pod. Um, I just want to shout out Tim, Chris, Eric, John, our little support network here locally who were, we were friends with before the show ever started and who have all individually showed up on the show in some capacity or another. Um, it, to me, it was a, it was a, a hair awkward being like, hey, we're going to produce a show and put it out to the world and you're close to us. But, you know, we're, there, there might be a little division there. Um, all of them have been so incredibly supportive and so cool with it. They've been very invested in our show and we couldn't ask for, for better friends here in Columbus. So, you know, not just the five people at this table, but the several people that surrounded us before we ever started this um, have been so cool with it and, uh, and, and great partners in it, too. Yeah. And the games never stopped. I mean, the yep. off the off pod games never stop where if, if anything we're playing more off pod than <laughs> we probably were beforehand but right because we, we need practice we got to stay up well no i think i think what it is is the the podcast kind of joined separate rpg groups a little bit mm-hmm. and and by doing that it kind of made this a nine person rotating cast in our off pod stuff and so that uh we're never looking for a player we always have uh, a group if we want to start something new so that's been a blessing really yeah 100 percent um so on that note i guess we're going to move on to the next question this one comes from sir newt what are the coolest parts of ustalavian lore if not for the funeral what would your characters be challenging right now i think we addressed that back half of the question in a previous other zone of truth question um but the Ustalavian lore is really interesting. Yeah. So, so I couldn't not bring it up. Um, for, for, for me, I just got to say, obviously, the War Without Rivals is the coolest thing that has happened in Ustalav. I think it's awesome. I, I am mean, a, it's trench warfare yes, and fantasy. It's crazy you. cool. I am a sucker for, like, World War I stuff because it's such a war of attrition, which... And a lot of times in my TTRPG stuff is the type of battles I like to fight. The, like, stand and bang stuff. And that was a stand and bang war. So they have that in a fantasy situation. So think about being in trench warfare where you're getting bombarded with fireballs and the dead are rising to crawl their way across no man's land and stuff. It's a crazy situation. Um but we kind of talk about it a little bit in the show, so I didn't want to necessarily just dwell on that. That is my favorite part of Ustalavian lore. Um, but I want to talk about this county in Virlik. Oh, uh, of Virlik. We'll get there. Oh, I'm sure we will. <laughs> um, basically, this morning when I was doing a little prep for this episode, I took a look through my favorite Pathfinder book. It's the Inner Sea World Guide. So much good shit in there. Um, but I read through all of the different counties, and this one just really stuck out to me. So, Virlik is the county of Ustalav where Gallowspire is. That's the prison slash tomb of the Whispering Tyrant. You guys are familiar with him. Um, the quote from the Inner Sea World Guide that really stuck with me is not just about Gallowspire, but the entire county that surrounds it 
No sane person would live here. Land is racked by unnatural storms, choked by blighted plants, stalked by tales of the unquiet dead. Um, it is an entire enormous chunk of the country that the only people that ever, the only living people that ever see it are defenders of last wall on the western border that sometimes patrol it to make sure shit's not getting it out of, out of hand and adventurers that are going in there to find secrets of the whisp, uh, the whispering tyrant and his acolytes um, there's so much mystery there and coolness just straight gothic horror coolness mm-hmm. um, an entire land of the dead um, and there was a big list of cool different locales uh, within this this county of Virlik um, that just sound that just all had really awesome names the one that really stuck out to me I didn't look it up just in case it was a spoiler for this current campaign but there's a place called the Garden of Lead what the <laughs> hell does that mean I don't know that I want the answer to it because I don't want to spoil myself but what a name oh yeah that's cool as hell I think for me Ustalav is just the cities really bring out that gothic horror to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're gonna get to Caliphas, and I think it's just one of the most interesting cities in Galarian. There's so much going on from an intrigue perspective there, and there's so much underground stuff happening. Uh, both from a good guys and a quote-unquote bad guys perspective. There's, like, secret societies in the streets, and um, it's it's just this ancient city that had been... It, it became the seat of power in Ustalav because of the Whispering Tyrant destroying so much of the land. I think the, the coolest historical parts of Ustalav are really the after effects and and kind of the shock waves of the whispering tyrant mm-hmm. like uh you have you have an existing but deteriorating uh monarchy and you, you have like like count cromark and uh counts and countesses um leading these various places and that that's they have this like tenuous grasp depending on where it is on actually ruling because the people are rising up after after the whispering tyrant hundreds of years later the people are rising up and like count caramark is count in name he no longer rules uh veland yep and so you have this whole political structure going on that's very interesting but you also have these lingering like the people in Usulov do not like orcs and half orcs because the Whispering Tyrant used the orcs of Belkson as his as part of his army, mm-hmm. and so there's like this lingering effect of that that's felt on one side of the country, and then you have these resistance movements from the most unlikely people. We we talk about the. Uh, the Prince of Wolves. Like, you have a whole werewolf contingent that fought the Whispering Tyrant. You have a whole vampire contingent that fought the Whispering Tyrant because they realize that a world that's undead means they have no food. <laughs> like, there, there's Makes there's sense. just some, some crazy cool... Um, I guess you'd call them, like, 
organizations in Ustalav. And and I think we're going to touch on a lot of it just because I'm very interested in it and I'm interested in injecting it. But there's also some, I mean, there's like, there's like castles from the Whispering Tyrant's old lieutenants that still exist. And like, uh, and his lieutenant is still alive as a vampire in the castle. And like it, it I think Paizo wrote like a, it's like a, level 16 adventure if you wanted to go into that castle and like root him out and so there's all this supplementary stuff that i feel like you could take ustalav well past the uh i think we end at like level 14 or 15 in carrying crown like you could easily do up to 20 adventures in ustalav because there's just so much that you can't explore in one adventure path yeah, and, and it's it's actually kind of funny that you talk about or we talk about going all over the place. In my uh, in my research this morning to to get ready for this particular question, I took a look at the map of Ustala. Mm-hmm. We have traveled a lot farther than I thought. Oh yeah, you guys We've gone all guys over have, the damn country. Mm-hmm. You were just like, and then you're gonna go. Yep, those mouth noises translated real well. I, I, to I, yeah, I made a pointing noise, but uh, actually really early on in the podcast i don't know if i ever shouted him out for this but uh joey the gm for uh wheeler woe sent me because he he was running carrying crown he ran like two books for their group mm-hmm. and he sent me all of these like laminated maps of the cities and all of ustalav and oh stuff. they're so cool they're so cool i remember pulling them out for you guys and i was like these are amazing like we're not going to get to half of these cities but they're amazing <laughs> yeah they're really cool um yeah obviously Shout out, Joey. I think he's a blind rat on Twitter. There's something very close to that. Uh, very, very cool dude. But uh, yeah, there's just so much there. And honestly, I mean, full disclosure, when we started this this podcast, I, of you know, being a horror junkie, was excited for this. But Ustalov itself didn't particularly pique my interest. Gothic horror isn't exactly my number one varietal of horror. Um, but the more I've learned about it, and, and you're talking about this monarchy that's still there but crumbling, that as a concept is very interesting to me. And people holding power while um, the countryside just kind of devolves around them is very creepy. Um, I've really, really grown to love Ustalov. And I think I always will now. It's a, it's a part of the uh, Pathfinder lore that I never really had a very strong I never really felt a strong connection to but that's changed yeah and I think we're gonna, a lot I mean we traipsed a little bit in the nobility in book three but I think we're gonna get a little bit more into the nobility especially in book five and you'll find that much like Alpon Karamark like most of the nobility of Usulov is very quirky in some weird deranged way uh whether it be like going to any extent to extend beauty yep. <laughs> like but like not being undead or like there's there's a bunch of just really weird quirky people and then you have your your like rulers that uh fought in a world war 2 situation yep. or yep. world war 1 situation i guess there's a one one last little plug for the inner sea world guide as i was reading that today there's a a very fun little call out that's like 
This is the county that was ruled by Elpon Karamark. He stepped down his count and things have been going fine. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, I see what you're doing there. Yeah, I, I would say if you're if you're particularly interested in Usulov, the um, I believe the splat book is Rule of Fear. Uh, it's like a $10 PDF or something. Mm-hmm. Grab it from Paizo's website. It's like 50 pages of great shit. Has like five pages on each city. It's crazy. Pathfinder Tales, um, the Prince of Wolves one. Of course, that's something we've drawn yep. really heavy for. I mm-hmm. think. I think. I know you've read that. Yeah. Um, I think there's a an entire section where they do go to this Verlick County that I've talked about mm-hmm. for a while. Um, so you get some really good flavor there. If you look for it, folks, there's good stuff out there. All right. Next question comes from Jason of What Do You Do Pods. Shout out, Jason. Love this boy. His question is. We often tell folks, play whatever you want, within reason, but that usually works best at the start of a campaign. If a PC death happens, how do you determine the best class replacement for that PC? I wanted to put this question into this specific zone of truth because stuff gets wild soon. Now, I'm not hinting at player death, but we know, we know that we're going into the very end of a book. And when we go into the end of books, things get wild. So we need to start thinking about this kind of stuff if we haven't been thinking about it already. What I'll say from the podcast perspective is that it's different from our off-pod perspective. So um, Brooks, Emily, Haley, and myself all approach backups in slightly different ways. Emily and I are very regimented. We figure out kind of what we want to play next, build a character to it, and we focus on that. Um, Brooks has talked on the pod before about how if he builds a backup character, he's worried he's going to lose interest in um, his current character. And Haley is a little bit more amorphous. I talk to her about backups all the time, and it seems like what she wants to backfill characters with always changes a little bit each time we talk. Now... What I will say for the show is that the four of us have talked about if a character goes out by themselves, we need to fill specific roles to, to get a decent party, um, party array of our abilities. Like if Matumbe goes out tomorrow, we're going to be having a real rough time with some skill checks. So I might want to come back with somebody that's relatively high intelligence. If Freya goes out tomorrow... We might need somebody who's a little bit more healer-focused. We sort of have kind of silos, but we are in no way siloing ourselves into certain classes or certain characters. Now, that all, in a way, gets thrown out if there is a three-person death or a two-person death. Then we talk about something. Then we talk about it a little bit more seriously. And if we have a total party wipe... I kind of feel like everything's out there. Well, that's we'll basically starting, out. starting from the beginning. Exactly. Want, right. I think you, you guys have a party composition and it doesn't necessarily fill all of the gaps that exist. And so my advice is always either fill the role, the gap that you're leaving or fill one of the gaps that is in the party. For instance, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a very good advice. For instance, like if one of you were to die, you might want to consider bringing in like an arcane caster because you don't have that role filled. The closest you have is Eclipse, and she's with the, she's an emotional cast. She's a um, off the psychic list and uh, can only get certain spell lists because she's an occultist. 
uh, there's there's times where I would say, like when when Freya came in, for example, I said, "Okay, Emily, you're you're gonna want to bring in something that can heal." But I will also work with you to fill another gap if that's what you want to do. And so she came up with, okay, well, I think she had this idea for Freya, and she wanted Freya to fill the uh, the range damage gap, at least so that there was an option in the party, which really you're just hoping that Eclipse's like mind blasts or whatever can, can do it. Yep. Um, so she came in as an archer cleric, which is kind of difficult to do as a cleric so I worked with her to you know I, I'm always given a free feed at the beginning of creating a character and some boons with Desna and that kind of thing I told her it would work but I think the same rings true for anybody bringing a character and it's really my, my biggest thing is uh, there has to be a reason for the character to come into the story at this point and Right now, it's a little difficult. I mean, I, I won't, I won't sugarcoat it. It's a little difficult to bring a character in. Uh, you guys are in the middle of the, the furrows, like not really a place that people explore. Mm -hmm. uh, it's tough, and unless you're bringing in a character that's kind of chasing the whispering way, like you are, it's hard to justify. Yeah, it's hard there. to justify being there. Uh, whereas, you know, if, if somebody died in book two, as we had happen, uh, if more people had died in that book, it's it's pretty easy to justify somebody being in Leopardstadt, right? Yeah. And the call to adventure happened. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you, I think, think about it this way. Even if you somebody dies around Asconor Lodge, that still kind of hamstrings your choices. There's people there. But you got to think about the type of people that show up at a lodge for the rich. Mm -hmm. So that could change your concept. And that could even change what you build mechanically, let alone your character himself. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times in the, in the woods, it's like, well, do I, do I build a, some sort of aristocrat that's coming in to the lodge to stay in the lodge and also happens to have class levels in something? Or do I build some sort of, like, druid or ranger that's in the woods that maybe... Um, maybe like a Delgros character would know mm -hmm. of in the woods and they come in to help the party. It's, it's tough. It's, it really depends on where you are and um, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. I think um, off show my, my, uh, my approach to it is, is pretty similar, but not the same necessarily. Um, you know, we're, we're very worried about party comp and um, maintaining an effective party through the show because, you know, this is something that we're being judged on. Mm -hmm. Let's call it what it is. Well, I think so the we other thing is you don't want to, if you purposely come in as something that's stepping on someone to someone else's toes, A, it's bad radio, well, yeah. and B, your survivability as a group goes down and then that, you know... On a show, people are really tied to their characters. Right? Yes, you, I mean more so, I'd say than than off show, and so it's like, well, we brought in an ineffective party and got wiped. Yeah, and 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 that's kind of what I'm saying here. That where off show, maybe you have a little bit more leeway to to play around a little bit, not necessarily fill exactly the role that the party needs, but get close to it if 
you want to have a little bit of fun with it. The show changes things. It does. There's because there is that accountability. Um, but I don't think that hamstrings us at all. I th- no, I think I- that just makes us. Uh, that just challenges us to fit our character concepts in ways that will make sense for the story and that they're effective. I think that's be the fun. beauty of first edition is that when Emily died, it's like, yeah, she chose a cleric, but there's a million ways you can come in as a healer. Mm-hmm. You can you can do it with a witch. You could do it you with an alchemist. You could be a, yeah, you can yeah. be a you can be a water kineticist. Like, there's a bunch of classes that can do it, and mm-hmm. so it's. It's cool because if you're working around a certain party role, you can definitely make it work, play with it. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's that's the that's the point that I want to reinforce that we are not putting anybody at this table in a silo. We're just saying, hey, there may be either a role you were filling or should fill for your next character. I actually do have a question because we never talked about this sure. as a group. And I'm just wondering, you guys building backup characters, if this is just kind of, like, implied or if you've talked about it at all. Uh, I've never said, like, we can't repeat classes. Is that something that you guys are talking about and, like, hey, we just don't want to... We always want to bring in a new class, or... We have not... I don't believe that any of us have talked about it specifically. Um... That's I, honestly that's a great question because that's something I've thought about myself. There are ways in first edition to um, to build two two of the exact same classes, one hundred percent different ways. Yep. And in a way, I think that would be interesting. But there's so many classes out there that can do so many cool different things. Um, I would feel a little bit at a disservice um, to not only just the people listening to, but to the person that I'm playing with. Like, let's say Matumbe dies in whatever episode is coming up next, and I come back as a different type of occultist. Occultist is a crazy class that you can build a million different ways, mm-hmm. and I could build one very different than Haley. But maybe that's just my own personal bias seeping in there, but I'd feel a little guilty stepping on toes. Yeah, I'm just thinking I haven't, from all of your backups that have been submitted to me, I, mm-hmm. haven't, I haven't seen a repeat. Yes, that's true. Um... We'll, we'll see if we see him. Hopefully we won't see any of them. That'd be cool. <laughs> yeah. That's wishful thinking. <laughs> yeah. Things are going to get real tough real soon. Um, our last question here comes from a user called King Kazoo. How many kazoos do you own? That's a very specific question. I think we own the amount that he sent us. Yes. Which is what, like 30-something kazoos? Yes. This is a user who, on Drunken Discordly, sometimes rolls in with a kazoo. I told him to send me a kazoo, and he sent me, I believe, a pack of 18. Oh, God. Um, I did not want 18 kazoos in my apartment, so I donated them to the group, and now there are kazoos fucking everywhere. (laughs) Much kazoo about nothing. Yeah. It, uh... Tim seems to have a lot of fun with them. Yeah, I mean, he really on the <laughs> on the seltzer draft. He was, was his whistle. That's right. Uh, used very effectively. So, I guess the answer is probably eight. I, you know, it was eighteen kazoo's. Probably less now. I think some got thrown away or lost. Some got lost on the river because you brought that pack out when we were all 
vodka brewing. This is true. <laughs> we all played kazoos drunk on the river. Just like six or seven of us just slowly floating down the river, all blasting on kazoos. That was good times. Yeah. yeah we'll have to do that again sometime. Um, but Griffin, I think that probably wraps it up for this episode. What do you think? Yeah, I think so, man. Well, it was a pleasure just hanging out with you. I always enjoy these episodes. I treasure them, but I think uh, it's about time to wrap it up. We're two years old now as a podcast. Yeah, I was just about to say, we uh, we passed the two-year mark. You feel any different? <laughs> another year older, another year wiser. No. No, no, I, don't no feel, yeah. I don't feel I think it's a different. pretty universal no. Maybe Emily's a little wiser. We're definitely all older, but that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been great hanging with you. We'll have to do this again sometime, probably in two weeks, but most likely in two weeks. (laughs) But until then, I think if there's anything you need to say to the folks listening at home, you should probably say it now. Uh, Well, the only thing I have to say is I need you guys to finish your drinks because we'll see you in two weeks. Later. Later.